and looking at uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, but we're going to be uh, reading 1 through 10. And let's, uh, let's open up with prayer before we go to the, His Word. Father, uh, it's interesting how you, uh, you use us and in many different ways, and that I just, I just don't feel worthy to uh, bring your word or be your mouthpiece. I know you use weakness to make your power shown and your glory shown. Lord, make your word clear to us. So this is the power of your spirit. Lord, may it not be nothing of me, but it just be all you, all of Christ. Your words be clear, as we know they sometimes hurt us, and they break us, but in the end they do bring us to joy, a greater joy in Christ, an inexpressible joy, because we belong to Christ. In his precious name I pray, amen. So, uh, let's read our text for today. If you're able to stand with me, please. In James chapter 4 and reading verses 1 through 10. James 4, uh, 1 through 10. It says this, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes or chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You may be seated. So the plan was to go through 1 through 10, but as I got to 4, this it turned in uh, just too long, and I was afraid of losing your attention. So, uh, but this, this is a hard decision. I'd, I'd just be transparent with you. 
um, because I, I see that James's solutions for the whole problem here of, of quarrels and conflicts and our lust and our love for the world, his solutions are in the bottom, the last portion of this, you know, 6 through 10. So to not give that to you today is trying to figure out what to do. So um, by God's grace, that will be coming next week. Um, so if you don't like today's, maybe next week's will be you know, better. <laughs> So, uh, so coming, looking where we came from, chapter 3, uh, the epistle addressed the power of the tongue and its, its damaging effects. You know, he compares it to as like the bridle that, uh, or the bit that bridles the whole horse, the small bit that can bridle or move the whole horse to whatever direction you want. Or the, the rudder on the ship that turns it from west to east or from south to north. And... So it's very small, but it can do great harm or great good. It's very difficult to tame the tongue, so great care should be taken uh, from any word proceeding from your mouth, especially for teachers since they will incur a stricter judgment. Verses 13 to 18, the last part of 3, he there compares true wisdom of God, which is pure, peaceable, and gentle, with an earthly wisdom that is selfish, demonic, and jealous. You know, we see God's wisdom, it brings order and peace and, and harmony, while the lack thereof, it brings disorder and chaos. And sadly, the, the one, one of the ways that disorder rears its ugly head is quarreling and fighting in the church. So verse 1, back to that. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. With the preceding context of the tongue, this would most likely be verbal attacks or battles, and not necessarily physical wars. Okay? And who is the conflict with? Who is fighting? Well, unfortunately, it's the people in the church. The text says, among you. Speaking among you. He immediately gives us the source of the conflicts. The second part of verse uh, 1 here which are your pleasures that wage war in your members. The word, the word members doesn't mean church members here, but our, our bodily members, and especially like that of the tongue, which we just mentioned about, and also the internal conflict in our heart. It involves desires for pleasure and sensual delight. This is the same battle of pride and envy that pa- Pastor Matt just talked about last week. It is that which wages war in your members. It is our sinful nature that desires things contrary to the Spirit. Galatians 5.17, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Here is our internal conflict. The external conflict in the church is caused by the internal conflict in the soul that we have and the, the warring in our members. Verse 2 continues to describe the source of the conflicts or another way of describing your pleasures. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Your lust and envy is the source of the problem. Can you relate with this? You want... You want something, but you can't get it. I've been there. 
many times. You want something, but you can't get it. You can't obtain it. You, the lust or desire that you have cannot be satisfied. This creates an internal strife. You know, the world would call it stress in many times. And then manifests externally as strife in the church, you know, resulting in bitterness and a fiery tongue and sometimes even murder. When any strong sinful lust is not satisfied, it results in murderous hatred and extremely worldly behaviors. Children, do you remember what happened between Cain and Abel? Yell it out if you want. You know, anybody know Cain and Abel, the account of that? What happened? What happened to Cain and Abel? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, he murdered his own brother. Mm-hmm. So Abel was, Abel was the keeper of the flocks, right? And Cain was the tiller of the ground. But the Lord had no regard for Cain's offering. If we look at Genesis 4, 5 through 8, briefly, so we can remember this. Uh, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. The Lord had no regard. So Cain became very angry. All right, he fell to his envy and lust, and his countenance fell. He was angry and depressed and sad. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Cain was carried away and enticed by his own lust and envy, which led to the murder of his own brother. This is how sin is accomplished. In James 1.14, I think it describes that really well. Uh, chapter 1, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. John Owen famously said, you've probably heard it here many times, be killing sin or it will be killing you. With a strong word of murder, it could be used here to show how evil strife is within the church. It's destructive and it is an evil thing. James 3.16 says, when we were discussing wisdom, from above, it says, uh, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Where jealousy, je- jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Will strife in the church happen? Yes. Should it happen? No. It ought not be this way. It ought not be this way. Philippians 2, uh, 3 through 4. Everyone, even children, this is a great verse to uh, commit to heart, to memorize. It's just a simple thing you can have on the, on the tip of your heart, or the, on the, your mind, and on your tongue, restraining the tongue. And it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit or vain glory, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That solves a lot of conflict. That one small scripture. Brothers and sisters, in humility, we must submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21 You must crucify your pleasures and your interests for that of the others and for the sake of Christ. The other problem or source of conflicts and fighting is because you do not ask or you ask with the wrong, wrong motives. It's the last part of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. And then 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So 1. In verse, the last part of verse 2, you do not have because you don't ask. So why don't we ask? Pride. And two, just two, small, uh, two parts under this, of an A and a B. So why don't you ask? Many do not even ask because they believe they are self-sufficient. Therefore, don't even think about asking God in the first place. The world has indoctrinated us, and our proud flesh wants to believe we can create things without God. And now we can achieve whatever we believe. This kind of philosophy is taught in such books, you may have read some, as the power of positive thinking, the magic of thinking big, you know, believe and achieve, just to name a few. You know, these all promote prideful self-power, self-wisdom, self-reliance, self-dependence. You know, think about this, how, how often have you set out to accomplish something without first asking God to direct your will or direct your steps. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart or mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So we need to ask. Why not ask? Or B, on the other hand, you may say, why even pray? Or maybe you've heard so many people say this. If God has ordained all, then what's the point of asking? You know, why pray? If he knows everything, he already knows my prayers, right? What's the purpose for asking? Puritan Thomas Manton commented, It is a false argument against prayer to say that God knows a request already. Yes, he may know that, but that's not the point here. And that God's decrees are immutable, it cannot be altered by our prayers. That was the argument of the old heathen philosopher Maximus Tyrus and many of the libertines in more recent times. But prayer is not for God's information, but for the creature's submission. We pray in order that we may have his permission. God's decrees do not exclude the duty, or our duty, the duty of creatures, and the work of secondary causes. Ezekiel 36, 37 says, I will yield to the plea of the house of Israel. Lord, I will yield to the plea of the house of Israel. In Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not harm you. Then he will call upon me and come, then you will call upon me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. The Lord says, come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You must ask to obtain. 
must ask with the right motives as well. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so you may spend it on your pleasures. You do not have or obtain because you ask amiss. You ask with wrong motives. These wrong motives are, as he says, you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, it's just, it's about us, right? We so many times come back to ourselves, what we want, what we desire. Basically, you're just asking for your will to be done instead of God's will to be done. So asking according to your pleasures is a sure way to get nothing. Asking for personal gratification, it's, that's not asking in faith. As we see in, in James 1, uh, 5 and 6. One not asking in faith should not expect to receive. Asking according to your will is the opposite of asking according to the Spirit. So how do you ask with right motives? What's this look like? Of course, we turn to the scriptures. We can look at, uh, we're going to look at three of Paul's prayers. If you want, uh, Colossians, if you want to turn there, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Actually, starting the last part of 9, or 9b. To ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In Ephesians 1, 17-19. Ephesians 1, 17-19. Verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. In Philippians 1, 9-11. Are you seeing how different these are, maybe compared to our, some of our normal prayers? Philippians 1, 9-11, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. From this we can see, we ask to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Ask for spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
so that you may live a life worthily of the Lord, so that you may please him in all respects, so that you bear fruit in every good work, so that you may approve or discern the things that are excellent, so that you be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, and all this unto the glory and praise of God. Simply put, we're asking to know his will, reveal his will and truth to us, so that we can carry out his will. Whenever your prayer wanders from this, it's out of alignment to his will. And when your prayer is not aligned with his will, have you guys ever drive a car that's out of alignment before? I have. Jocelyn knows right now. And you're constantly, you're constantly pulling it back, right? If you let go, it veers off. You know, unless you're around to turn, works pretty good. When your prayer is not aligned with his will, you'll be like the car that's out of alignment. The moment you take your hands off the wheel, the moment you stop praying for his will, you begin to drift off into a ditch of selfishness and worldly lusts, self-will. It's an easy thing to do. Verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not... Know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These are strong words. So I see two arguments here. One, such lusts will make you commit adultery with God. Such lusts will make you commit adultery with God, and they will make you enemies of God. But to understand these, first we must understand, okay, what is friendship with the world? What does that look like? The world in verse 4, as similarly in uh, chapter 1, verse 27, earlier in James, it refers to the system of human existence in its many aspects. The system of human existence in many aspects. And particularly, the sphere of desires and influences and structures that draw a person's attention away from God. Okay? The sphere of desires, influences, structures that draw a person's attention away from God. It does not mean this physical universe, okay, which, God, which is God's creation, nor his people, which are made in his image, whom God loves. So it's not, the, the problem for us is, is, is not delight in the physical world, nor love for humankind. But the problem is it's demonstrating a behavior toward either the physical or social world that puts it in place of God. Or another way to put this in several, several different ways, um, submitting to the world's ethics and value instead of God's. Desiring the things of world instead of God's. Trusting in the things of world, of the world instead of God. Exalting the creature over the creator. Placing self above others and above God. This would be, as James states, a friendship of the world. This friendship, um, it means having a love for for the pleasures and profits and desires of the world. Similarly, in 1 John 2.15, and if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. In his book, Love or Die, Alexander Strzok says, It is easy to be distracted from loving God because of our love for sports, material prosperity, 
career advancement, television, or movies. When any of these things govern our life or demand our heart, soul, and strength, they steal our time away from Christ. And these things can become idols, heavy burdens that slow us down and prevent us from running the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12, 1-2. Good things can become bad things very easily when they siphon our time or divert our affection away from Christ. But understand, not, these don't only cause you know, horizontal problems right, with our own relationships here. But more importantly and most importantly, it causes you know, conflicts or issues and problems with our vertical relationship with God. As we already saw, looking at, one, it's adultery. And two, it makes you an enemy of God. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? This, this friendship or fondness, or courting of the selfish ways of the world, union with its pleasures and lust, it is adultery. Thomas Manton noted, worldliness in Christians is spiritual adultery. It dissolves the spiritual marriage between God and the soul. End quote. And we can look at this in the view of our earthly marriages. As an example, Christ says in Matthew 5, 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The spousal unfaithfulness is not only one that's some type of physical touch, but can simply be a lustful glance. Simply a lustful glance. It can be begin with a wishing that you were with someone else. And then it turns to a choosing to be with another person other than your spouse. Wishing or seeking affections with someone other than your spouse is adultery. Wishing or choosing to be with the ways of the world is adultery. It's hostility toward God. It's hatred toward God. Therefore, it makes you an enemy of God. Last part of four. Therefore, whoever wishes or chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I mean, again, these are strong words. Enemy of God. But we need to understand the magnitude of this. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. Romans 8, 7. I mean, it puts you on opposite sides. You know, whose side do you want to be on? God's or those opposed to God? It may be a silly question, but it might be an appropriate question. Because if you're playing a harlot with the world, you are opposing God. So as Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, Pastor Matt might have read this, I think he might have read this verse last week too. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other one, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. You cannot serve God in the world. I mean, as, as believers, yes, we may stumble. We may be drawn into the world and things of the world and its lusts thereof. But just as Paul writes, you know, it's just as Paul writes in Romans 7, 5, you know, for I am not practicing what I want to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. It's that struggle. But note the key word here, hate. Doing the very thing I hate. If you love God, if you love the things of Christ, then you should hate 
evil things and be sorrowful. In repenting, when you fall to lusts of the world and into conflicts with others. You know, do you belong to Christ? Is your Christ or is Christ your master? Or is it your personal lusts? Things in the world. What what is your master? Is sin your master? We know sin's not your master, but so let's look uh you know, turn with me in Galatians five. I want to uh, end with reading some scripture here, thirteen through twenty six. Galatians five. So we have Romans, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, if you're looking for it. Ephesians too far. Come back to Galatians. Galatians 5, 13-26. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, Take care that you will not be consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will, will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. I'm going to stop here and continue Again, hopefully next week. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so easily pulled into this world, into the the lusts of it, desires of it. Our flesh battles against the Spirit. We know sin does not have dominion over us. Christ dying for our sins. We are master over sin. Yes, we may fall, we may stumble, Lord. But So would you give us sensitive hearts so that we are ever so aware 
of our errors, of our transgressions. Oh, Lord, keep us back from presumptuous sins. Set our hearts more and more on Christ, on whom we belong. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and just wean us off the things of this world our own will, our own desires, our own flesh, but to set us more and more, I pray, on things according to your will that please you. pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, we have our fellowship meal, I think. Everyone's been here before. So, you know, our routine... Let's uh, pray for our meal and this, uh, the fellowship time we have. Father, we thank you for the church, this body we have here, and that we can gather, even gather, to worship you. What a wonderful time we can gather as well to eat together and to fellowship. And may our uh, would you just direct our conversations uh, more uh, to heavenly things? And that we may uh, even share burdens and we can pray for one another and just have more love for one another and less and less conflict and quarreling, of course. In Christ's name, amen. Or dismissed.